Deuteronomy 10, let's stand for the reading of God's Word together. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13, and then we'll look, skip down to verse number 20. We, we'll read verses 13 and 20 out loud together. I'll begin in verse number 12 alone. The Bible says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, And with all thy soul, together, verse 13, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Let's go down to verse 20. Ready? Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. We're going to begin a new series of sermons this morning within our theme this year, 2020. We're looking at the theme, Love Works. We just finished up a series of sermons entitled The Properties of Love. Today we'll begin a series entitled The People I Love. The People I Love. God has called us to love people. We're going to begin with the greatest commandment in the Bible. That is to love the Lord our God. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Loving My Heavenly Father. Loving My Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, as we look at a vital, important truth. Uh, Lord, to evaluate our hearts. Everyone here, Lord, has room for improvement. From the person here who loves you the least to the person here who loves you the most, we all could love you more. We all have some sin in our life that's preventing us from loving you like we should. And then, Lord, others here are casual in their love for you. They're, uh, Lord, not as concerned with it as they ought to be. May the sermon this morning be a wake-up call. And, Lord, help all of us to, to self-evaluate. And then, Lord, seek to improve and, and strengthen and grow our love for you. In Jesus' name we ask all of this. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the greatest commandment in the Bible is what? It's to love God, isn't it? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Do you really love God? I mean, do you really love Him? Some would say, how can I love someone I have never seen? Papa, do you love Jesus? Asked little Emily to her father, who did not care for anything religious. Jesus is dead, my dear. Long, long ago came the reply. He was crucified, and that was the end of Him. The little girl rebutted, but Jesus rose again and and did what no other man can do. And if Jesus was not living now, we could not be living either, as he gives us life and everything else, Papa. The father thought for a moment and replied, But how can I love someone I have never seen, Emily? Tell me that, my dear. Little Emily at first had no idea what to say. And her father felt pleased inwardly that he had stumped his daughter. After a while, the little girl wandered back, moseyed on back into the room and said to her father, she said, Papa, how old was I when Mama died? Dad looked at his daughter and said, "Uh, only six months, my child. She said, then I can't say that I ever saw her. For I don't remember her at all. But you have always tried to make me love her by telling me how good and kind she was. And I do love her, although I have never seen her that I can remember. By this time, the tears were running down the father's cheeks and he was kissing his little Emily. He said to her, God has spoken to me by you, my dear. And now you must pray for me. And ask God to give me a new heart with which I shall love Jesus. That prayer was soon answered. You say, well, I've never seen God. How can I love Him? Oh, you may not have looked Him in the face. You maybe have not seen Him eye to eye. You maybe have not seen even God manifested on earth in the form of Jesus Christ. But we see His handiwork all around us. We see and we know that we are made in the image and likeness of God. The songwriter put it this way, The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The more that I love Him, more love He bestows. Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows. The longer I serve Him, 
the sweeter he grows. Every need he is supplying, plenteous grace he bestows. Every day my way gets brighter, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. An old countryman visiting London for the first time in his life went into one of the greatest picture galleries uh, to take a look around. There he was in his overalls and his wrinkled flannel shirt and cowboy hat in hand. And he came to a wonderful painting of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross. He stopped before it and he gazed at the picture. A great love for the one who hung there flooded into his heart. Bless him, he said aloud. I love him. I love him. Others in the gallery heard the old man's words and seeing the tears trickling down his old furrowed cheeks as he stood beside the picture, hat in hand, forgetful of all else. They were all touched. They stopped before the picture too. Uh, presently, a stranger drew near to an old, the old countryman with his hand on his shoulder. He, he said, I love him too, brother. Seeing what had taken place, a third stepped forward, saying, and so do I. Then a fourth joined them, and a fifth. And until and there stood before the picture of the Savior a little knot of men, perfect strangers one to another, but drawn together by the love they had for their Lord Jesus Christ. I propose this morning that God has commanded us to love Him. This commandment is right. This commandment is reasonable. He calls us to love Him with a love of admiration. He calls us to love Him with a love uh, that is manifested in our actions. We're going to look at four thoughts this morning as we begin this series, The People I Love. Today's sermon, Loving My Heavenly Father. The notes will be on the screen as they are each week. I would encourage you to use the back of your bulletin and write down uh, the notes to the sermon so you can go back and better study on your own later. Number one, notice uh, point number one. The catalysts, the catalyst. Why is it that we are to love God? How is it that we can love God? Look back with me at Deuteronomy chapter number 10 and look at verse number 15. Notice there, only the Lord had a delight, had a delight. The Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them as uh, he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Go down to verse number 22, verse number 22 of Deuteronomy 10. Thy father, uh, thy fathers went down into Egypt with three score and ten persons or 70 persons. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. What is God saying here to these Israelites as they are preparing to cross over into their promised land? He is saying to them, uh, I, the reason why I can tell you to love me is because for generations now, I have been loving you. I loved you well before you were even a twinkle in your mother's eye. In fact, going way, way back to your great, great grandfather, the patriarch Abraham in the matrix. Sarah, I chose them, I called them, I loved them. They were little nobodies in the grand scheme of things, and I called them out of Ur of the Chaldees, and I sent them on a journey. Sarah couldn't even have a baby, and after many years, I opened up her womb, and in her old age, she gave birth to Isaac, and Isaac uh, uh, to Jacob and Esau, and Jacob uh, changed his name to Israel and gave him 12 children, and here all you, here you are all. All these years later, because I have chosen you and each step of the way, I have loved you. I have loved you. It wasn't just that God loved them by uh, blessing Sarah with a baby and all of these generations later and and, and changing Jacob to Israel and, and making that into a nation. No, no, no. You see, they got themselves into a mess when they were forced into Egypt and they became slaves in Egypt and they were enslaved 
by the Egyptians. And God took Moses and spared his life through the graciousness of Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses would spend 40 years in the palace of the king, Pharaoh. And then 40 years on the backside of the desert. God needed 40 years to undo the leadership that the Egyptian world had taught him. And 40 years on the backside of the desert taking care of sheep. And God is humbling him and changing him and preparing him. And at 80 years old, he walks into Egypt and walks into Pharaoh's palace and says, God says, let my people go. These people, the Bible tells us, were in suffering. They were enslaved. They had whips cracked across their back. And many of the uh, the ancient pyramids and great uh, wonders that we see in Egypt were built by the Israeli slaves. And God looked down and saw those people and saw their sorrows and he rescued them from that. He brought them out into the desert and he didn't just leave them in the desert to die. No, he put uh, uh, put a cloud over them by day to protect them from the sun. And then he put he turned that cloud into a fire by night in order to give them heat for the cold in the desert. He provided manna that fell from heaven. He allowed their clothes not to get old and to grow with them as they grew up. And here they are getting ready to go into the promised land and have all that it is that God had promised Abraham way, way back when. And God says, I want you to love me because I chose you and I loved you. Uh, Christian, you weren't saved out of Egypt, but you were saved out of sin. There was a day God looked down and he saw that your uh, uh, your feet were on a path to hell. And he saw where you were headed. And God looked down and he had pity on you. And he allowed Jesus Christ to come down. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, But God commendeth or proved his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He suffered so that we could be free. I love the old song that says, While he was on the cross... I was on his mind. I was on his mind. He died in my place. I want you to imagine with me that um, uh, that you owe a great price. You owe a great debt. And you cannot pay that debt. And not just anyone steps in and pays that debt. But the person to whom you owe the debt, they reach in their pocket and they pay off the debt and they set you free of that debt. My friend, that's what God did for you. He set you free. If you're here today, he has loved you enough to allow his son to die on the cross in your place. He loves you. First John chapter four, verse 19 says this. We love him. Why? Say it with me. Because he first loved us. The catalyst of our love is very simple. God has chosen to love us. Now, um, I'm a father of my wife and I have two children, Matthew and April. And when uh, April, uh, it was April's turn to be born, uh, we were nearing the time of Angel- the end of Angela's pregnancy, 38, 39 weeks. And they had told us that she was going to be born via cesarean. And so we set up the appointment and we uh, uh, arrived on December 27, 2010. 6 a.m. in the morning, Towson, Maryland, at the Greater Baltimore Medical Center, which is just a suburbia town of uh, Baltimore there. And we arrived, and they got Angela ready to go, and they prepped her. And uh, uh, April was born a little before 7 a.m. on December 27th. And I remember being a father for the second time, but the first time to a little girl. If you've never had a daughter, if you're a man here, you've never had a daughter, you just don't understand. It's different. It's just different than having a son. With my son, I'm like, that's my boy. I'm going to make him tough. With my little girl, my heart just melted right into my shoes. And I held April in my arms, and uh, there she was just a few hours old. And the most special thing happened. April, I, I was holding her, and I was talking to her. And Angela's, you know, she's recovering from surgery, and she's just out of it, drugged up. And I'm holding her in my arms, and she's only an hour or two old. And I start talking to her, and she opens up her eyes, and she locks eyes with me. And first time opening her eyes, she looks right into my eyes, and we hold that eye lock for a good 15 to 20 seconds while I talk to her. And then she closes her eyes, and she goes back to sleep. It was just, it was special. There was a connection there. That happened. And as April began to get older, four, five, six years old, uh, I would ask her two questions. I would say, April, do you love daddy? And she'd say, yes. April's got this big personality. And I'd say this. I'd say, why? And as a four, five, six-year-old, she'd just get quiet. She didn't know how to answer the question, why? 
Well, one day I asked her that question. I'd asked her that question, those questions probably hundreds of times. I asked her, and she looked up at me, and she said, because you love me. Because you love me. My friend, God loves you, and you are to love him because he loves you. It ought to just be a natural uh, reciprocation. He gives it to us, and by our very nature, by our very desire, we ought to give it back. How is it that we love God? Why is it that we love God? Well, because He first loved us, the catalyst. Number two, notice the command. The command. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and look at verse number 12 with me, where we began this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, And now, Israel... Uh, what doth the Lord thy God require, require of thee? Notice the word require. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him. And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and the statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be in chapter 6 and 10 quite a bit this morning. And look with me at verse number 4. It should just be a couple of pages back to the left there. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. Notice the word here. Hear, O Israel. That means pay great attention to. By the way, the, word, uh, the, the root word for hear in the Hebrew uh, is translated also as our modern word obey. It isn't just the idea of listen, let it go in one ear and out the other. It's the idea of I hear it and I'm going to do it. I hear it, I pay attention to it, and I go forth and do it. Hear, obey, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. Um, It is really sad that God had to order his people to love him. It is really, really sad. Have you noticed that this commandment, and by the way, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time in scripture God has ever commanded a group to love him. We're all the way in the fifth book of the Bible. We're thousands of years into the history of mankind or removed from Adam. And, and here we are, and God has not wanted to tell them to love him. He's just wanted them to do it all on their own. And it's been a struggle. And so he has to come down and give an edict and say, love me. I have counseled uh, couples where the wife, with tears in her eyes, have looked at a selfish, has looked at a selfish husband and has said with an angry voice to her husband, Love me! I just want you to love me! I have loved you, but I don't feel that you love me. I think this is how God feels by this point in Deuteronomy. Look, I loved Abraham, and I loved Isaac, and I loved Jacob, and I loved the twelve children of Jacob, and and I loved you when you went into Egypt, and I loved you when I delivered you out of Egypt, and I have loved you as you have murmured and complained all throughout the wilderness, and I let your parents die, and now you're growing up, and you're going to go in the promised land, and I just want to require one thing of you. I have spent thousands of years loving humanity. I have spent hundreds of years loving your country, I want to require one thing of you, and that's just please reciprocate the love. I have loved you and loved you and loved you. I have been asking myself and a few others this question all week long. Why is it that God has to command us to love him? Why does he have to do that? Why is it that when he is so good at pouring love down on us every single day of our lives, whether you're saved or lost this morning, whether you know you're on your way to heaven or not, my friend, God loves you and he shows that love. We looked at it last week. We saw how that God is just this unending love, like 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 sun rays uh, uh, coming off the sun. God's love just doesn't stop. It just keeps coming and coming. We talked about like a pipe being broken in your house and water just pouring in unstoppably. That's God's love pouring all over us. He loves us and loves us and loves us. And then God looks back and says, I command you to love me. And I'm left asking this question, God, why can't I figure this out? 
Why is it so hard for me to, to turn around and love you back? And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. There are weeks, there are times in my life, there are moments in my days where God looks at me and says, that doesn't show me love. That doesn't show me that you love me. In fact, you are flat out ignoring me. You are not giving me any attention. This area of your life or that area of your life, you're concerned with everything but me. You're going against my wishes for your life with that attitude, with that behavior. And God says, I just ask one thing of you, and that is that you love me. The command, the command. Number three, notice the competition. The competition. Letter A, notice our forgetfulness. Our forgetfulness. Look, look down at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and look at verse number 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged uh, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord." Which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He says, listen, I've taken you out of bondage and I will bring you into a land that has everything already set up for you. The, the vineyards and the the, um, uh, the gardens, they're already planted. All you have to do is walk in and pull the fruit down and, and, then, and then prune and keep it up from there. The houses, they're already uh, uh, built. The wells, they're already dug. He said, I'm going to walk you into a, a land. I'm going to walk you into a city, uh, into a nation where it's already set up. You just walk in and inhabit. I'm going to pour my love all over you and then he gives them this warning in verse number 12 don't forget me don't forget me don't forget me four-year-old martha hugging a doll in each of her pudgy little arms looked wistfully at her mother and said mama i love them and love them and love them but they never love me back boy i think that's how god feels toward us sometimes I love them, and I love them, and I love them, and they just won't love me back. God says, love me, because I have saved you from hell. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. God says, love me, I have saved you from hell. It isn't that we have forgotten our salvation, it's just that our salvation doesn't really excite us anymore. Oh yes, pastor, I'm saved. Yes, I've put my faith and trust in Christ. Yes, I know I'm on my way to heaven. And there was a day where you would think about the cross of Calvary and tears would run down your cheeks and a love would bow up in your heart and you would feel great admiration and appreciation for what Jesus did dying in your place and love would come pouring out of your heart through prayer and through action and you couldn't wait to get up and serve the Lord at church or serve the Lord by helping your family because you just remembered how much God sacrificed with His Son's life for you and and, and you're saved and now you've been saved so long that you almost yawn at the thought. It isn't that we've forgotten intellectually, but we forget emotionally what God has done for us. God says, love me because I daily supply your every need. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God said, I love you by saving you. I love you by supplying for your need. It isn't that God fails to keep his promise. It's that we have our needs and we want more wants. We want more wants. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I have everything I need, but I, I, I want more. I want more. Have you noticed that teenagers don't seem to have the difference figured out between need and want? You take them to this, this store, take them to the mall. Oh, I need those Air Jordans. I need that new sweater. I need uh, that uh, that uh, outfit, that uh, that bag. I need, I need. And it says, no, you don't need, you want. And as Christians, God did not promise, God did not promise to give us a luxurious life. In fact, we'll look at this topic this evening. God has called us to live a simple life. 
He has called us to live a simplistic lifestyle. And as Americans, we're all guilty of not living simplistic lifestyles. The simplest among us, we still have nice things. Did you know that in America, the greatest problem facing the poor people in our country, and I know there's exceptions to this, but categorically, the greatest problem facing the poor people in our country is, is, is being overweight. Being overweight. Uh, 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 we are a country of plenty and God has supplied our needs and we yawn at those provisions. We are familiar with those provisions and we, eh, eh. Yeah, God, that's great, but I would like more. That's great, God, but I would like more. How many of you rode in a car to get to church this morning or some sort of vehicle to get to church this morning? You know who gave you that car or gave you the ability to get in that car and go for a ride? The Lord, the Lord did. How many of you had uh, uh, something to eat? You've eaten or drank something this morning already. You put your hand up. You know who provided that for you? God did. Don't take that for granted. Remember what Jesus prayed? Give us this day our daily bread. And I, I've had a donut this morning. I've had, uh, I, I went up to Pastor Morales' class and I stole a piece of bacon. Amen? I had to get my bacon in. All right, I'm not Muslim, so I can eat all the bacon I want. Glory, hallelujah. We all have so much. And God says, that is evidence of my love. I am loving you. And we don't forget intellectually. We forget emotionally. God says, love me because I supply your needs. And we say, yeah, God, but... But I I want more than just my needs. I want my wants. God says, love me because I give you more than just your needs. I also load you down with extra life benefits. Listen to Psalm 68, 19. Uh, David says here, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation, Selah. Uh, We love benefits, don't we? Yeah, how many of you are detailed enough that when you sign up for an insurance policy, you check out what all the bells and whistles are that go with it, right? You make sure the premium is low enough to where, you know, it's not uncomfortable if you get into an accident. and, And you make sure that rental car is on there, right? And you go through and you make sure that you have these benefits. How about when you get a job? You get a job. How many of you here in the interview process are likely to ask what the benefits are that come with the base pay? Uh, it, it, you ought to do that, right? You ought to go through and, uh, okay, I, I understand this is going to be my pay, but what are the benefits? Uh, how about when you go out and purchase a vehicle? Uh, how many of you here, uh, some of you here just go for the base model because you like to keep it super simple. Other people, well, what are the benefits that come with this vehicle? I want to know the gas mileage and what kind of type of seats does it have and uh, uh, is the steering wheel heated and doesn't have a sunroof and you go through you're looking at the the benefits and by the way there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that if you can afford it by all means uh, but we love benefits can I tell you today that God did not just save your soul and he does not just supply for your bare bones necessity all of us in here experience on a daily basis the extra benefits that come along with living life in America in 2020 Amen? You know what that is? That's God loving us. And it isn't, it isn't that we don't love Him back because we don't know it. Because I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We forget, not intellectually, we forget emotionally. We shrug our shoulders. Well, yeah, but I, I would expect that. And we get in our car and when it doesn't start, we complain. Let me ask you a question. Did you... Did you praise God the day before when it did start? We get in our, we open our refrigerator and we pull out the milk and we complain because our husband put, uh, not my husband, I don't have a husband, amen, because the husband put the empty milk container back with just a couple of drops left. Yeah, I throw that away. Oh, you go to the store and get more milk. Were you thankful the day before when it was half full? Did you look up to heaven and say, God, I love you. Thank you for providing for me. You say, God didn't put that milk there. I worked hard to earn the money. And I put that milk in the refrigerator. I drove to the store. I picked it out and I paid for it. Who gave you the strength to go to work to earn the money? Who gave you the strength to get in the car and get there? Who kept you safe on the way? Who helped you get through the the checkout line without getting in a fight with the people around you? Who helped you put that in the refrigerator? God is the provider, not only of our salvation. 
not only of our, uh, our needs, uh, but also of all of the many benefits. Why do, we not, why do we not love God back? What is the competition? To be honest, we just flat out forget. We forget to thank God for what He is, who He is, and what He does. Let her be noticed, our friendships. Our friendships. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and look at verse 14. Ye shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. My, my whole uh, uh, childhood, growing up in Sunday school, in church, I would hear stories. You know, you get the flannel graph and they put it up on the board and, and you, you'd, you'd see maybe a slideshow or whatever. And you'd see pictures, cartoon pictures of Israelites dressed in, you know, old garb, Middle Eastern garb. And they're bowing down to some piece of stone. Or they're bowing down to some rock. Or maybe it was made out of gold and they're bowing down to it. And, and I would always scratch my head and say, why are they doing that? Like, what is up with that? Why would you bow down to a piece of rock? You made that with your own hands. There's one story where a king goes in, Israeli king goes in, and he conquers a country. And then he takes the gods of that country and brings them home and starts worshiping them. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm listening to the story, I'm reading the story in the Bible, and I'm like... I'm, 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 you know, face palm. I'm thinking that God is not powerful enough to protect them. What in the world are you doing worshiping that God? How dumb can you be? Why did they struggle with idolatry? Why did they struggle with worshiping a piece of stone? And I understand that I'm not part of that culture. And I understand that that was thousands of years ago. And had I grown up in that part of the world at that time, maybe it would make more sense. I'll give them all of that. But here is the conclusion I came to. Look back at verse 14. Of the gods, the end of the verse, of the gods of the people, or rather the middle of the verse there, of the gods of the people which are round about you. Do you know why I believe they worship false idols? It wasn't because of the false idols. It was because of the pressure to fit in with the countries around them. You see, they worshipped a god they could not see. Don't miss this. They worshipped a god they could not see. Jehovah, Yahweh in heaven. The other countries had something physical and tangible they could bow down to. And they gave in to peer pressure to be like everyone else. Do you know that this world around us, this system of this world, it hates our God. Hates our God. And if you're not careful, Christian, you'll be more concerned about pleasing your neighbor than you are pleasing God in heaven. Do you know your neighbor didn't die on the cross for you? Did you know that your boss is not the one uh, who puts milk in your fridge? Why? Well, he's the one. His name's on the check. That might be the case, but God is the one that provides above him. And, and, and you don't need to worship your boss. You don't need to please your boss. You need to please God in heaven. Why? Because he's the one that provides. Our friendships, our friendships. What happened to the Israelites? Uh, there was a cycle. By the way, this first generation that would follow Joshua, that's being preached to here, they would follow Joshua uh, into the promised land, and they would conquer the promised land, and they would make a covenant with Joshua in chapter 24 that they would worship the Lord all the days of their life. And you know what? They did that. But then you turn to Judges. The first couple of chapters in Judges says there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. You know what they knew? They knew idols. They knew the world. And a day came where God said, I'm going to punish you because you're, now not, you're not loving me. I love you. I've loved your fathers. I loved your, your grandfathers. I loved all the way back generations. And now you are turning toward all of this wickedness. And, and you know what? God says, I'm going to punish you. And you know what happened when they got punished? All of a sudden now, they had no problem worshiping the Lord. They had no problem. Oh, Lord, we're sorry. We messed up. We shouldn't have gone that direction. We should have followed you. And in times of hardship, boy, they turned back to God only to come home and have the next generation or two generations out fall into the same trap. Can you hold your place in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and turn over to James chapter 4? My friend, God does not want to compete with the world for your affection. 
He does not want to do it. He does not want to compete with uh, covetousness. He does not want to compete with your flesh. He does not want to compete with what the world promotes and pushes for your affection. He wants your love supremely. Years ago, I uh, was a Spanish pastor in uh, Baltimore, south side of Baltimore. I won't use names to just be careful, but we had a lady that came to church, and uh, she she was was divorced. She had two children, sweet lady, uh, I wouldn't even say a godly lady. And uh, this lady, uh, Angela and I sat down with her in, in my office uh, several times, and we went and visited her in her home, and and we, uh, the, the, the topic of her divorce came up. And she began to talk about her divorce. And we asked her, uh, uh, well, she, rather she volunteered the information about what had happened. She said that her husband had struck up a relationship with another woman. And this relationship, this uh, friendship turned into flirtation and then turned into a full-blown affair. And first it was kept out of sight and it was hidden. And, and then eventually the wife discovered it and confronted him on it and was hurt by it. And the husband refused to repent and come clean on it. And so then this woman began to live with the fact that her husband was married to her and had a woman on the side. And he would see her and this woman. And that began to grow and become normal. And she said, I drew a line in the sand when he wanted her to move in and live with us. That was when things had gone too far. You say, that's horrible. Can I tell you that we're guilty of doing that to our God? We, 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 God says, look, I want you to love me exclusively. You're not to give any of your affection or admiration to anything or anyone other than me. Look at James chapter 4 verse 4. God comes down hard. He uses strong language in this verse. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. God says, if you want to be my enemy, then go be friends. Go love. Go have affection for the world and the world's system and those things which oppose me. Letter C, that brings us into letter C, God's fury. God's fury. Go back to, hold your place in James 4. We're going to come back and look at verse 5 in a minute. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and listen to verse, look with me at verse 15 and 16. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy them from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. He's a jealous God. All right, let me ask a question. Okay, let's be honest. If you're here today and you are in, you're married, okay, you're married. If you have ever experienced some form of marital jealousy, would you raise your hand? Okay, be willing to admit it. All right, my hand's up. I've experienced it. Not that my wife did anything wrong, all right? Um, uh, I remember we were newlyweds, and we were working a bus route in Highland Town, which is inner city Baltimore, and we'd only been married a few weeks. And this punk kid, he's a punk, he, 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 I'm, I'm opening the door for my wife to get in the car. We've been married three or four weeks. And, and she's standing there on the sidewalk waiting for me to get the car unlocked, and he looks her up and down, and he says, Wow, you are beautiful. I got in that kid's face, and I said, you better get lost. Fury, anger, wrath. I was ready to beat the kid to a pulp, all right? Now, I don't know that my wife has ever needed uh, just, you know, I I don't know there's a woman out there desperate enough. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, uh, jealousy. Jealousy is a strong emotion. And, and, and God looks at you and he says, I have rights to you. I died. I sent my son to die on the cross for you. I saved you. You are my child and uh, I am your heavenly father. And here you go flirting with, having fun with that thing that put my son up on the cross and killed him. And God says, if you want to do that, you will make me your enemy. 
God says, I want you to love me exclusively. If you've ever gone through the Bible uh, quickly, you've ever done an express reading of the Bible or maybe listen to the Bible uh, via audio book and, and, and just listen to 20, 30 chapters a day, but you've gone all the way through the Bible, I've done that a few times. What you'll find is one thing that stands out very strong, and that is God loves you. He wants you to love Him. And if you don't love Him, He gets very upset and very jealous over your affection. That theme is found all throughout the scripture, all throughout the Bible. If you could put down one of the macro themes of the Bible, it is this. God loves you and he wants you to love him back. And when you don't, boy, it it really gets to him. It really bothers him. It angers him. Why? Because he is a jealous God. Go back over to James chapter 4 and look, look at verse number 5. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, that word lust there is not the same word as you think of like a sexual lust. It, it, it implies jealousy. It's jealous with envy. Jealous with envy. If you were here today and you put your faith and trust in the Lord to save you, then the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, lives in your heart. And you have this battle that goes on in there. You have the old flesh that desires to, 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 to serve uh, the, the desires of your flesh and to do sin and, and wrong and iniquity. And then you have the Spirit of God. And when we choose the world and sin and our flesh and iniquity over the Spirit of God, there is a envy, there is a jealousy that takes place. God does not want us to love anyone or anything other than Him. You say, does that mean I can't love my spouse? No, 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 no. You are loving others, but your first, your love first starts with God and flows down onto others. It flows down onto others. That soul affection of loving God, God does not want to compete with worldliness and sin and your flesh. He wants you to love Him with an everlasting love, with a pure love. Number one, the catalyst. Number two, the command. Number three, the competition. Lastly, number four, notice the character. Characteristics, the characteristics. Let's go back with me, if you would, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter number ten, and we're going to break down the verses we started in this morning. So, what does it mean to love God? What does that mean? That, that that's a uh, term that uh, love God. Well, it's ambiguous. It's theoretical. It's up in the air. What does it mean uh, to love God? Uh, is it a some warm and fuzzy feeling that I get when I show up to church? Or, or how about when I sing my favorite church song in the shower? Is loving God telling him over and over again that I love him? Loving God is so much more than most of us even care to understand. A young man spent an entire evening telling a girl how much he loved her. He said that he couldn't live without her, that he'd go to the ends of the earth for her. Yes, he would crawl across glass. He, he would grow, go through fire for her or, or die for her. But when leaving a few hours later, he said this. He said, I'll see you tomorrow night if it doesn't rain. <laughs> How often we say we love God, yet deny it by our actions. Jesus said in 1 John chapter 3 verse 18, my little children, let us not love in, or rather John said in 1 John 3 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. In deed and in truth. If your love has no action to it, then your love is empty. Your love is empty. So, how do we show God? How do we prove God? What are the characteristics of our love to God? Our love is more than feeling. Our love is action. Letter A, notice our fear. Our fear. Go back to Deuteronomy 10 and look at verse number 12. And now, O Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Now, you'll notice further down in verse 12, to love, to, uh, we're told to love God. These other thoughts revolve around that concept of loving God or, or how we love God. Notice the first one here. But to fear the Lord thy God. To fear the Lord thy God. Fear means to revere or to show great respect. To show great respect. So why should we fear, reverence, and respect our Heavenly Father? Look down at verse 14. Deuteronomy 10:14 Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God the earth also uh, with all that therein is 
I can remember being a little boy and uh, uh, being try, trying to break uh, break a stick or or do something that required a lot of physical strength and and, and it, it maybe carry something and it wouldn't budge, it wouldn't move, it wouldn't break. I mean, I, it would, I wasn't even coming close. And then my dad would walk over and pick it up and it, he you know break it or whatever. He, he used strength and that which I couldn't do breaking blood vessels in my head, he would do with 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 hardly. Uh, it, it required very little strength. It would appear that he could have done that. He, he could have done that times ten with no with no problem and no issue. And I would sit back a, as a little boy and I would say, "Wow, he is strong. He is strong." Sometimes he'd be out in the yard working, and I look at he'd have a, a, a he'd be sleeveless or have a short sleeve shirt, and I look at his muscle and think, "That thing is huge. I will never be that strong." And God says, and by the way, it caused a reverence in my heart. It caused a deep respect in my heart. And by the way, when I was in trouble and my dad talked to me firmly, I would think about how strong he was. And, oh, man, oh yes, sir, I will do whatever you say. I wasn't afraid of him throwing me through a wall or anything. But I had a reverence and a respect for how strong he was. How strong is our God? The Bible tells us that by his wisdom, he made the worlds. He spoke Creation into existence. Wow. When I stop and think about how big and strong God is, and then I stop and realize that while He created everything and everyone, He created me and He loves me. There is this awe, this respect, this fear that comes flowing into my heart. And it just makes me want to love my God that much more. Look down at verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible. That word terrible meant something different in the 1600s when the King James was written. It meant awesome and an awesome God, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. So he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't treat one person better than another. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't take bribes. Verse 17 says he is integritous. He is great. He is mighty. He is awesome. He is the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords. He is master. He is mighty. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And for these reasons, we are to fear God. Do you fear God? Do you you say, Lord, if your word says to do something, I'm going to work to do it. I'm going to work uh, uh, to do my best to be in line with that. Lord, I, I, I'm afraid of you, yes, but I'm afraid of hurting you because I know how much you love me. Letter A, our fear. Letter B, notice our fellowship. Our fellowship. Look down at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12 again. Now, now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? Look at this next part. To walk in all his ways and to love him to walk in all his ways now we're getting into the nitty-gritty of what it means to love god this morning it's not enough just to say i love him it's not enough just to show up to church once twice or three times a week to all of our services it's not enough just to put on a nice set of clothes and walk in church It means so much more uh, to show God that you love Him. It means so much more uh, uh, than that. There is a lifestyle that must be lived. Once you respect God and are afraid of hurting your God, then you make a conscious choice to daily walk, look here, in all His ways. Can I tell you what Christians do in America in 2020? And I mean most of them, if not, well, I won't say all of them, but I will say most of them. They pick and choose the parts of the Bible that they want to obey. They pick and choose what's convenient, what's comfortable, what's easy. My friend, God did not call you to obey the easy parts of the Bible. He did not call you to pick out the verses you enjoy and stick with those. We are to walk in all his ways. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Picture a boy walking through the snow behind his dad. All right. You got snow that comes up to the knee. You have a six or seven year old boy who would never uh, the knee of an adult man. Uh, you have a six or seven year old boy that would never be able to make it. And his dad needs to get him across this field and into a home. And so the dad goes first and he puts big 
steps, or rather big holes in the snow, and sort of moves his leg around and make it a little bit bigger. And then he takes short steps so that that little boy will be able to step in the same steps as his father. And as long as that little boy who's trailing behind him will step in the same holes, he will safely make it to his destination. And if that little boy decides, I don't need to do it dad's way, I can make my own way, boy, that snow's going to be up over that little boy's waist. He has no chance of getting to where he needs to go. In fact, he's going to get lost in the snow. God has already gone before us. He's given us a book, uh, which is in essence steps in the snow that tell us how to traverse this hard and difficult world. And part of walking in God's ways is totally trusting Him and following Him each step of the way. You don't get to pick which of the footprints you want to put your foot in. No, my friend, we're called to walk in all His ways. Can I just ask you this morning, are you following the Lord with all your heart? Or are you following the Lord... Where it's easy. Are you, are, is your version of Christianity what Christ intended? Or is your version of Christianity what fits in with your lifestyle? Letter C, notice our fervor. Our fervor. Look down with me again at verse 12, Deuteronomy 10. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk? In all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God. Look here, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul. What's that word heart? That's our intellect and our emotions. Our intellect and our emotions. What is our soul? The word, the root word for soul there means your entire being. Think of it as your body. It's your entire being. You are to love the Lord your God with everything emotionally and intellectually and with your body. Loving God requires total devotion to Him. Listen to this. A celebrated Japanese statesman once said, We do not worship our emperor. We love him utterly. The commander before Port Arthur one day called for volunteers to cut down the barbed wire entanglements. Listen, he said, you will never come back. He said, nor can you carry a gun. You will take your place and cut one or two wires and fall dead. Another will take your place and cut one or two wires more. But you will know that upon your dead bodies, the armies of your emperor will march to victory. Listen. Whole regiments volunteered for these sure death parties. If your Christians, he said this, this Japanese statesman said this, if your Christians love your God as we love our emperor, they would have long since taken the world for him. I think of those boys who poured out of those boats on Normandy Beach, knowing they would die. Why did they do that? Because they loved God and country more than they loved themselves. They knew there would need to be waves of death to overcome the Axis forces on the beaches of Normandy. They knew their bodies would have to float in the ocean. They knew that Many of them would go and never see their family again. They did it because they loved America more than they loved their own being. I want to play on that patriotism for a minute for God and ask you this. How much do you love your God? If he called you to, please, please, please give me your attention. I'm almost done. If he called you to lay down your life for the cause of Christ... Would you be willing to die for him? I was at a youth rally as a teenager and a very powerful sermon along these lines was preached. And at the end of the service, they had the invitation and it was very emotional. There were people crying and there were tears. And the pastor or the the preacher of that youth rally, he said, if you'd be willing to take a bullet for the Lord, I want you to come forward right now. Well over half the room, including myself, stood up and walked to the front of the room. And we all stood there. 
And he looked at all of us and he said, You're willing to die for the Lord, but are you willing to live for the Lord? There's no militia man that's going to break in that back door and make you choose between spitting on the Bible or living. He's not going to put a gun to your head and spit on the Bible, say, spit on the Bible, I'm going to kill you. That's not going to happen today. I pray it never happens in this country. The test isn't, are you willing to die for the Lord? The test is, are you fervor? Is there a strong enough fervor in your heart? A strong enough flame in your heart to go forth and give your all for him? Verse 20 of Deuteronomy 10 says that you are to cleave to him. Letter D, and lastly, notice our focus. So how do you do that? Look at letter D. Or rather, look at verse 13. If you mark in your Bibles, let me encourage you to mark those two first words. To keep. To keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I commanded thee this day for thy good. To keep. To keep. Earlier we talked about the danger of forgetting. God wants us to keep His commandments. What's that mean? That means we're to guard them. We are to value them. We are to cherish them. We are to go forth and live them. And then we are to pass them along very carefully and delicately and with great value and importance to the next generation. This requires an intentional focus on not only what God has given us, that's His Word, but on who God is and how He loves us. That would be the daily needs and benefits He provides. And how He loved us. That would be Calvary. Christian, are you focusing on the love of God? Are you focusing your attention and affection on reciprocating God's love? I feel as though God is like that bewildered, upset wife in my office who screams at her husband with great passion, Love me, just love me. I have loved you, but you will not love me back. Oh, my friend, God loves you each and every day. He is begging you to love Him back. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, would you help us to evaluate our heart? Lord, I think about that conversation you had with Simon by the Sea of Galilee. Where you asked him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Lord, it took Simon a little bit of time to be able to get it right from the heart out. But he looked you in the eye and said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Lord, I want to live my life in a way where I can look you in the eye and say, God, my life proves that while I'm not perfect, I love you. Lord, help us this morning, each and every one of us, to love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, how many you say, Pastor Lejeune, there's a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. If I were to die today, I know I'd go to heaven. If that's you, would you just hold up your hand right? You are. I know I'm going to heaven. There's no question in my mind. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you're here today and you don't know that, please don't leave here without getting that matter settled. Life is not certain. Life is fragile. People die every day that are the same age that each one of us in this room are. Many die in a surprising fashion. While the odds are on your side that you'll wake up tomorrow, nothing is for sure. And my friend, there's no reason to leave this church building today on your way to hell or uncertain of your eternal destination. When the Bible has promised that you can know that you have eternal life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I'm just not quite sure where I'd go. 
If that's you and you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? No one else will be looking except the pastors. That's all. We'd like to privately pray for you. We have no intention of embarrassing you or calling your name out. We'd just like to pray for you. If that's you, would you hold your hand up and say, Pastor, I just don't know where I'd go if I'd die. Is there one? I just don't know. I don't see any hands. I hope that means all of you have that matter settled. How many say, Pastor, today the Bible and the preaching of the Bible challenged me and showed me that my love for God is not what it ought to be. Pastor, pray for me that I will love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's my hand, Pastor. Please pray for me. I can see I have an area I need to grow. Lord, would you help us to consider how much we're living for you? And Lord, help us to love you. We cannot effectively love others until we first love you. And we get this matter right. Help us to be devoted, dedicated, determined. And Lord, may you be able to depend on us to love you the way we ought to. In Jesus' name.